0: From Walt Disney in 1954, it raided families' wallets and made your parents poor. Started with one movie, then more and more and more. Was the first story in consumer lore. Craze of Davy Crockett.
1: This week, this was a thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Was a thing. Cigarette ads and Disneyland, this was a thing. Deborah and Bert kiss in the sand. Lana Turner
0: kicks the bucket. Elvis Presley starts to sing.
1: And Liz
2: Taylor's many husbands.
0: Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the Davy Crockett craze.
1: Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Now,
3: this was a thing because it was the first media merchandising craze in the United States. Just by adding the name of Davy Crockett to any item in the 1950s meant it had to be swooped up by those young boys across America who needed all things Davy. And just as fast as it appeared, it vanished as swiftly as the bear Davy Crockett killed with his bare hands. What? That's not true. Uh Or is it? Uh And therein lies the legend of Davy Crockett and how this living person who never really existed became the moral center for the generation we call boomers and ignited a firestorm of merchandising tie-ins. Now, who was Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier? Well, he was the 19th century man who spouted such wisdom as, quote, always be sure you are right, then go ahead. I mean, it makes sense. Which apparently was an eye-opening philosophy for for young boys in the 50s. But there are two Davy Crockett's. What? Myth Davy. Driving Myth Davy? Driving Myth Davy. And True David, not to be confused with Ew David. okay. If you're a Schitt's Creek fan, (laughs) Davy Crockett was not on Schitt's Creek. Before we look at the two Davids, let's agree on what we all know he actually was. He was a Tennessee frontiersman, soldier, politician. Folk hero, and later in life, much longer after his death, a cash cow, uh, he lived from 1786 to 1836, and he bore a resemblance to Tom Hanks and Adrian Brody's love child. So just picture the two of them having a kid, and that's Davy Crockett. Now, the myth, Davy, that we know, it comes from his 1834 autobiography. The autobiography is filled with tall tales and boasting, for example, that he wrestled a bear. Or he could split a bullet in half on an axe in a tree. Okay. And the like. But we really know the legend of Davy Crockett from a series of almanacs that David had little to do with, but propagated myths and tall tales about the frontier. These Davy Crockett almanacs featured basic almanac information like, here's your calendar. Here's the weather. Good day for the crops, don't you think?
0: Here's the date.
3: Oh, but, and how to make a good comrade. But some mighty epic stories about David's heroic actions also were included in the almanac. This is from Davy Crockett's Almanac of Wild Sports in the West, Life in the Backwoods, and Sketches of Texas. That's the full title of the book, by the way. 1837. So this is this is what you would, you would read in the almanac. An almanac wouldn't lie to you, it tells the truth. I heard a loud howl behind me that so started me that I jumped right out of a water like a sturgeon. I knew it was a bear, and on turning to see how near he was I saw a wolf, but a short distance making towards me. I dived down in a slantedicular direction so as to come up behind them. When underwater, an amphibious river calf saw me and chased me to the surface. Upon breaking water, they all began to chase me. Upon the wolf's coming within reach, with a good blow over the nose, he went off howling. The bear came on in the most rage orifice manner, but I gave him some startling raps, and I stunned the river calf with a blow of my club so that he was taken. I was invited on board a steamboat, but as there was ladies on board, I did not like to appear in a state of nature, so I dove under the boat, swam ashore. Bears and wolves swim across the Mississippi very often.
0: Now I still can't figure out how to get to the mountains while reading this damn almanac.
3: (laughs) That was Don Knotts in *The Wild Frontier*. Other stories include uh, th- from the 1840s, I should say, long after Davy Crockett has passed away. Uh, Colonel Crockett's trip to Texas and fight with the Mexicans was the actual title, in which he rides his pet bear. Oh, who runs so fast? Quote: His eternal speed had scalded all the hair from his back. And, of course, the wonderful Crockett-killing rattlesnakes, in which he compares himself to exterminating snakes the same way of the legend of St. Patrick driving the snakes from Ireland. Oh, so he's Catholic. So he's Catholic. So the new American ideal is exemplified by Davy Crockett's image in these almanacs. Davy inspires the Westerner to be self-sufficient and forward-looking. He is a symbol for the land-hungry, ambitious Americans who would fight Mexicans, indigenous persons, and nature for the Western lands that they saw as their right territory
0: davy look behind you no i'm always looking forward no seriously like there's like oh my god davy
3: i wish i could have turned back time just like share it is okay to look back every once in a while
0: Put that in the next almanac.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and get me a band-aid. <laughs> the almanacs uh, continued until 1856. And as they were continuing, they morphed into something very, very bizarre. In As the time went on, Davy Crockett in the books becomes very racist with this horrible sense of humor that's literally poop jokes, sex jokes, and using minorities as a punchline. Davy, Davy Crockett, racist of the wild frontier. <laughs> I'm happy you know this song because we're going to talk about it. So after the Civil War, uh, he remained a popular figure for boys' fiction, usually in tales about like the Alamo, and that was it. After the Industrial Revolution hit, Davy's Backwoods Ways was looked at as something less than. Crockett, the myth, Davy the myth, he faded into obscurity with only an 1874 play about his life gaining any sort of traction, as well as a few films about his exploits. Crockett, the man... True Crockett, true David, was never really celebrated or revealed. So, who was true David? Ew David. Someone, I think, who is more fascinating than his myth. So, as a young man in the early 1800s, Davy, or David... Uh, depend. I don't know him all that well. How well do you know me? How well do you know me? Where do I go by? What's my nickname? Just call me Dave. It's at Davey Crockett. <laughs> Hashtag Coonskin Cap. Hashtag Bear. Hashtag Wrestle Bear. Hashtag Scat Jokes. Hashtag Scat Jokes. Hashtag Looking Forward. Hashtag Tennessee. Hashtag How Do I Spell Tennessee? Hashtag TM. Davey uh, lived his life as an indentured servant that was sold by his father to pay off the father's debts. Oh. So if the dad was like, hey, I'm in debt. David, guess what? You're going to go work this for this family until my debts get paid off. He had this consistent calling to public service and to help his fellow man, much to the chagrin of his fellow Tennesseans like uh, General and later President Andrew Jackson. Oh, wonderful man. An elected official, uh, his lists of ideas and feelings, this is Crockett, uh, were liberal to say the least because uh, I, as I said, he, he had served in the House of Representatives. He felt that there should be legislation to ease the tax burden on the poor, helping impoverished settlers who were terrified of having their land taken away by a fickle and confusing government. He tried to ban West Point because he felt poor people's money going to enrich the sons of rich men was unethical. He opposed Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act, which was applauded by the Cherokees, so indigenous people seem to like Davy Crockett. He is defeated for re-election in 1835 and says to the people, quote, I told the people of my district that I would serve them as faithfully as I had done, but if not, they might go to hell and I would go to Texas. (laughs) He does go to Texas and he's killed at the Battle of the Alamo in 1836. Some say that he fought bravely using his rifle to beat off his attackers, but there is some proof he just surrendered. But don't tell that to some people. Was he played by Billy Bob Thornton in the Alamo? Yes, he was. Boom. He was played by Billy Bob Thornton in the Alamo, yes. Here's how some people today are reacting to the fact that maybe Davy Crockett got caught at the Alamo uh, and surrendered.
1: And uh, this image became icon to people in my generation and when you suggest that Davy might not have uh, gone down swinging, that That upsets some people. That challenges just not their image of Crockett, but it challenges their childhood innocence as well. Well,
0: you're now a historian. Yes. So what do you say about this? Do you think that this might be an authentic? Do you believe it is an authentic?
1: I believe it is, yes.
0: Childhood innocence, huh? It was a different time.
3: So by like the 1930s, Crockett had just... You know, fallen out of fashion. Uh, there's a great book called Main Currents of American Thought. The author of this book uh, described Crockett as, quote, a true frontier wastrel. A waskily wastrel. He said that Crockett, the, the author, by the way, is Vernon Lewis Parrington, and he said uh, Crockett really embodies the worst American Traits and he says, "Quote: Strip away the shoddy romance that has covered up the real man, and the figure that emerges is one familiar to every backwoods gathering—an assertive, opinionated, likable fellow, ready to fight, drink, dance, shoot, or brag. The biggest frog in a very small puddle. First among the smart Alex of the cane breakers, Davy was a good deal of a wag, and the best joke he ever played, he played upon posterity, that has swallowed the myth whole and persists in setting a romantic halo." On his coonskin cap. Now, while he was in the House of Representatives, he didn't have any sort of legislature. He didn't really accomplish anything, but uh, somehow there's this myth that he's this great person. I am sure. That both the legend of Davy Crockett, real and fictional, would have faded into obscurity if it wasn't for good old Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt. Disney, that is. In 1955, as Walt was looking to launch Disneyland, he struck a deal with ABC TV for some cash in exchange for providing TV programming. Now, he wanted each of the programs to reflect the new worlds he was creating, and he needed something for... TV. Frontierland. Ah, Frontierland. And he wanted to celebrate historical figures, so he told... His employees get me some frontier like <laughs> historical figures. So the employees went searching in the archives and they found the Davy Crockett almanacs.
0: The, the original people we brought to Walt were uh, mostly Confederate generals. He said that didn't play. Uh, th- they were frontier, but um, you know, we decided to go a different direction. So uh, we- I, I remember I, I
3: told Walt, well, What about uh, Jefferson Davis? And uh, Walt said, uh, oh, what did he say? Because he was always a fun curmudgeon. He said, uh, get the fuck out of my <laughs> office, you racist fuck.
0: It's a different time. A
3: different time. He was a good man. But they liked Davy Crockett because he is from the frontier, and it looks like he embodies fantastical tales that would go great with the stories that they're trying to Absolutely. get out there. So they disagree. They agree that D- Disney and his associates, they'll produce three episodes that follows the life of Davy Crockett. So three hour-long episodes to be aired uh, about a month or so apart. Got it. What he's really creating, although it doesn't have a name yet, is the miniseries. They're creating the miniseries. But he also created the Mickey series. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Uh, the hour-long episodes will be, uh, episode one is called Davy Crockett, Indian Fighter. Episode two is called Davy Crockett Goes to Congress. And the last one is... Davy Crockett, Return of the Jedi. And the last one is Davy Crockett... At the Alamo, that's where Davey tries to rent a horse for a trip to his niece's wedding in Knoxville. So it's just like what happened at the Alamo. (laughs) Just like what happened at the Alamo. (laughs) Originally, it was called Davey Crockett and Enterprise.
0: Oh, my God. Casting
3: for the role of Davey (laughs) is pretty easy. First, they go after James Arness, um, who's best known for Gunsmoke. But when they showed Walt footage of Arness in a movie called Them, Walt was like, no, no, no. Who's the other guy with Arness? Uh, that' guy that's davy Crockett, and that's how six foot six fess Parker got the role of davy crockett fess up here's uh, here's Fess talking a little bit about davy Crockett
1: but, but it was kind of a troubled time because the producer was i mean the director was really worried about what what I was doing, and he was uh communicating with the studio that maybe they should maybe replace me and, and he was he was not truthful, which really upset me. Uh, that was going on behind the scenes, and I, I, it made me so uncomfortable. At one point, I thought I would just leave, just walk on. But... Um, we kept on, and... Uh...
0: This is like this is like me presenting cigarette ads where Television of Archives is like, just don't cut anything. It's, it's, it's interesting to note that Fez Parker was also the first spokesperson for
3: Quaaludes. <laughs> on December 15th, 1954, Davy Crockett, Indian fighter, debuted on ABC, and in this one, Crockett seeks a truce with Indians who assaulted a military outpost. He and his companion Russell, played by Buddy Epson, from the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, boy. They fight in skirmishes under the command of Andrew Jackson, and along the way, Crockett kills a bear armed only with his knife. Uh, Now, this program gets a 42.4 share. This is a massive, massive debut for Davy Crockett.
0: Debut. debut Crockett.
3: Crockett Here on ABC. (laughs) Here is a clip from Davy Crockett Indian fighter, just so you can get a sense of the great acting and the great writing that was on this television show.
1: I don't want you going off to war. Just between you and me, Mrs. Crockett. I ain't unreasonable happy over it myself. I reckon I'd rather take orders from you and old Hickory Face any day. Who? Old Andy Jackson, the general. Oh, stay, Davy. Stay with the boys and me. You're a mighty pretty little woman, Mrs. Crockett, but you'd be a terror for looks with your hair all sculpt off. And the boys wouldn't look so good, neither. Don't forget the Creeks massacred every man, woman, and child at Fort Mims.
0: Our dads thought this was the fucking coolest thing. Oh, they were probably crying watching oh, this. Don't go, Davey! I just imagine, like, my dad, like, going like, Oh, man, that Davy Crockett is... Awesome. Now, all Walt and the
3: boys thought was that this was a nice way of promoting Frontierland, and that would be the end of it. But little did they know that with this first episode, they unleashed a beast so massive, not even Davey could wrestle it to the ground. Fess Parker. Fess Parker. And this all started, this, this craze starts with little throwaway tune. See, Disney wanted a longer film. So animation was ordered to flesh out the stories and offer connecting points, right? And after that, Walt Disney said, "This looks kind of dull, guys. <laughs> Maybe we can get a song in there to to like go with these cartoons." And Thomas Blackburn, who was just the scriptwriter and had never written a song at all, grabbed the show's composer George Burns, not old oh, George Burns. Uh-huh composer George Burns, and they went down to a hall at Disney Studio, and they returned 20 minutes later with a ditty that began, Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Now, the producer, Bill Walsh, said, he goes, I thought this song sounded pretty awful, but we didn't have time for anything else. Uh, Here is that song, sung by a frontiersman-clad, Fess Parker. This is shot uh, in front of a log cabin set. Bass is dressed as Davy Crockett and he's accompanied by similarly frontiersy-like musicians. Here is the song that swept the nation in 1955
1: born on a mountaintop in tennessee greenest state in the land of the free raised in the woods so he knew every tree killed him a bar when he was only three davy davy crockett king of the wild frontier fought single-handed through the Indian war till the creeks was whipped and the peace was in store while he was handling this risky chore Made himself a legend forevermore. Davy, Davy Crockett, the man who don't know fear.
3: The man who don't know fear, except at the Alamo, yeah. where he <laughs> threw his gun down on the ground. Hold
0: on, hold on. That's it,
3: please. Texas is different, folks. Now, automatically, we're going to talk about how this uh, song is setting out a myth of Davy Crockett that actually does not exist. So the first lyric is, born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Actually, the real Davy Crockett was born in a valley in a territory that was then known as North Carolina.
0: Born in a valley in North Carolina, he ended up
3: looking mighty fine. Couldn't tell the truth and couldn't tell a lie. Davy, Davy Crockett. Here, I'm gonna sell pie. But who cares it's a lie? Because Fess Parker was only one of 23 different singers covering that song, including... Tennessee Ernie Ford, Steve Allen, Burl Ives, Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians. And then, I know, and then there was like different versions. There was the Davy Crockett Mambo by Irving Fields. There was also parodies such as Mickey Katz's Doovy Crockett, Uh, Mickey Katz, trivia, Mickey Katz is the father of whom and the grandfather of whom?
0: Goldie Hawn and
3: Uh, Kate Hudson. No, no, Mickey Katz had a son named Joel Katz. Oh, Joel Gray and uh, Jennifer Gray. Very good. This is Mickey Katz's Dovey Crockett.
1: Born in the wilds of the Lancy Street. Home of gefilte fish and kosher meat. Handy him a knife for hairs of tea. He flicked him a chicken when he was only three. Dove it, dove He sat in the sun on the racket in the bucket. Dove it, dove King of the Lancy
0: Street. I'm fascinated that did Joel Gray's dad.
3: Right? I can't get over that. Now, uh, these songs sold a healthy 200,000 copies apiece. The ballad itself sold more than 10 million single copies. And the Bill Hayes version alone of the song accounted for 1.5 million of these copies. Then on January 26, 1955, it's Davy Crockett goes to Congress, kids. Crockett, with his companion, Russell, his companion, Russell, he travels to Tennessee where he learns of the death of his wife, Polly Crockett. He wins a, ten- a seat in the Tennessee House of Representatives and later the United States
0: House of Representatives. Nothing like a Disney made-for-TV movie about politics.
1: Expansion is a mighty fine thing. Sure, we gotta grow. But not at the expense of the things this country was founded to protect. The government's promises set out in the Indian treaties is as sacred as your own work. Expansion ain't no excuse for persecuting a whole part of our people because their skins is red and they're uneducated to our ways. And expansion ain't no excuse for taking Indian lands that was guaranteed to them. You wouldn't be doing the settlers no good voting for this bill. You'd only be making rich men out of the land grabbers and speculators that have been trying to get it passed. Now, just who are these Scalawags? Well, one of them could be the president himself, using this Congress for his own purpose. But I've no General Jackson for half of my born life. And I'm sure he's got nothing but the good of the country at heart. No, it's just a few thieving varmints hanging on by giving dinners and fancy parties, reaching for whatever they can get a hold of. But there are no count lot about as natural as flies around a molasses barrel.
3: And then finally, on February 23rd, 1955, Davy Crockett at the Alamo debuts. And, of course, in this one, Crockett and his companion, Russell...
0: <laughs> I just imagine Tiny Buddy Ebsen next to six foot six. And they head off
3: to the Republic of Texas where they try to defend the Alamo and he will die defending the Alamo. Now, Crockett's death is not actually shown in uh, Davy Crockett at the Alamo. All we see at the end, and I was like, this is just, this is great. At the end, it's just Crockett the last survivor in the battle, and he's on the uh, parapet, and he's swinging his rifle, Old Betsy, as the oncoming hordes of Mexican soldiers attack him, and then the picture fades and bleeds into the flag of Texas flying in the breeze as the male chorus sings the last few lines of the ballad of Davy Crockin. Very heroic. Hey, friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover
0: us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry.
3: Okay. Head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent.
0: And if you really love us head on over to patreon.com and send us some money and in return you will get access to merch special episodes bonus content pictures of me shirtless okay okay that's
3: p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com search this was a thing and help us out but you know what you've already helped us out today by listening to us and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that so thank you thank you Now, by the broadcast of the last episode, Mr. Disney had a problem. Disney didn't think these TV shows would be anything, and in one of the biggest blunders he ever made, and he didn't make many blunders in his life, he didn't trademark the name Davy Crockett. And they just killed off the most lucrative money-making machine that had been totally caught off guard by the success of Davy. Now, that's an easy fix. They took the first three episodes of the series, they edited them together, released them as a theatrical film called Davy Crockett. King of the Wild Frontier. They got that released in May of 1955, and they rushed into production two new episodes to be broadcast in November and December of 55, Davy Crockett's Keelboat Race and Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. Ooh. Then those two movies are combined together and theatrically released in July of 1956 these movies these tv programs ignited a davy crockett craze that helped solidify the then new medium of television touched off the greatest merchandising fad the world had ever seen and gave boomers a philosophy that's based in duality we're going to talk about this in a little bit now crockett was the perfect person for the anti-commie patriotism bandwagon and unlike superman or buck rogers he was a real hero he wasn't fictional. He no, actually yeah. had existed. Now, that's all nice and patriotic, my friend. But what about the money? Economic growth was on the rise at this time. And houses had to be filled with the newest gadget, car, toy, hence the C word, consumerism. Oh, And consumerism ran perfectly into the world of... Davy Davy Crockett. And Disney. Now there was a financial columnist named Sylvia Porter, and she said this about the Davy Crockett Craze. Quote, the youngsters always have had a vital influence over the family's spending habits, but now even the pre-reading ones are developing definite buying habits. We're creating a nation of spenders from infancy. And don't think that point didn't become the guiding principle for every toy maker and ad man ever since. There was the song, yeah, and over 3,000 Davy Crockett associated products. Davy Crockett, flintlocks, knives, moccasins, sleds, toothbrushes, lunchboxes, wallets, t-shirts, baby shoes, rugs, bedspreads, bathing suits, bath towels, books, vinyl, swimming pools, wallets, furniture, guitars, sandboxes, swings, bicycles, wagons, powder horns, and in a national promotion that offered a Davy pup tent with every purchase, Norge refrigerators moved like they had never been moved before. wow, There's a guy named Adam Starchild, and he wrote a coffee table book on the craze, and he said, quote, you could put Crockett's name on anything you had, and people would buy it. But why would they buy it? Why were these Depression-era parents so eager to stock their children with so many unnecessary items? Well, it's psychological when you think about it. These parents, who were always told no vowed not to do the same to their children. Mm -hmm. And unlike their parents, they would go overboard to show their love with toys and gadgets. So it's that depression era mentality. I didn't have it, but my kid will not suffer. It was also a great way to keep children Well behaved. Uh, Paul F. Lazisfeld from Columbia University's Department of Sociology says, and I quote A fad satisfies a need for status and common experience amongst kids. Parents welcome it too, sometimes subconsciously, first because it helps keep kids out of their hair. And second, because the hunger of children for new experiences usually is far beyond the inventive capacity of even the most devoted parents. And a fad provides a clear-cut line of gratification. If you're good, you'll get a Davy Crockett cap. It is hard to think of a hat that is as iconic as the coonskin cap, maybe Abe Lincoln's stovepipe. Yeah. Right? Both frontier. Both frontier. The hat that Davy wore, a a garment so identifying of his persona that all you needed was the hat to let people know you were part of the Davy Crockett fad. Every child needed this coonskin cap. Here's the problem, though. No one made (laughs) or sold these caps. Retailers were at a loss when parents would barge into the store, throwing money at them, demanding a product that did not. Exist. Everyone was caught off guard and unaware, and soon raccoon tails soared from twenty-five cents a pound to eight dollars. Oh my god! There was a United States senator from Tennessee named Estes Kefauver. Now that's a name for you, Estes Kefauver. He. Kind of perfect in 1956 was the vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. And he was the senator from
0: Tennessee, Tennessee.
3: So guess what? He always wore coonskin cap coonskin cap, but not everyone was enthralled with the Davy Crockett craze and they let their feelings be known newspapers, ABC and Disney were flooded with letters citing the show's historical (laughs) inaccuracies. Harper Bazaar's editor John Fisher said this regarding Davy, quote, a myth as phony as the Russian legend about kind Papa Stalin. The real Davy was a juvenile delinquent who ran away from home at the age of 13, and when he claimed he had shot 105 bears in nine months, his fellow tiplers refused to believe a word of it on the sensible ground that Davy couldn't count that high. (laughs) Furthermore, he also said that our hero hired a stand-in to finish his fighting at the Creek Indian War and hired a Ghostwriter to knew his memories. Uh, this made the magazine soar in circulation as everyone wanted to read what John Fisher was saying that about is so funny. Davy Crockett. There was a columnist by the name of Harry Golden. And he said, "Quote: He was out on the frontier only because it was an easier place to live than in a home with a growing brood. Davy had a flock of children, and he left them." and his wife, and never bothered with any of them again. He set the cause of married life back about 200 years. Now, these editors were flooded with letters supporting Davey, and many of them were written in crayon. Oh, my God. Kids not only wrote letters in crayon saying how angry they were, they also protested (laughs) outside the newspaper offices of these blasphemous journalists. So
0: you're telling me that kids are not going to buy Harper's Bazaar anymore?
3: It's a shame for everyone, but you know, kids—they have principles and they sacrifice. And then, as quickly as the demand for all things Davy materialized, it faded just as fast. Why? Children were Davied out. It's like you're ever a kid, and you're like, "I want ice cream! I want ice cream! I want ice cream! I want ice cream!" And then you eat like an entire tub of ice cream, and then you're like, "Oh my god, I can't do that again."
0: Maybe not with ice cream, but I know what you're talking about
3: cookies. So sure, it's sort of the same thing with the Davy Crockett craze, right? The kids Funny. wanted it, they got it, and then it's time to move on to other things. The Arctic Fur Company of Seattle, one of the largest producers of coonskin caps, was producing 5,000 caps a day in May of 1955. And by August, sales had dropped to virtually zero. There was a New York store that reduced its Davy oriented counter space from 70 feet to 20 feet. In the course of a week, and there was another store in Washington, D.C., they reduced the price of Davy Crockett t-shirts from $1.29 to $0.39 and still got no takers. At this point, the kids had moved on, right? There was baseball cards, there were sci-fi movies, Army Men, and all the other things that come with youth. Plus, it was also summertime, and no one wanted to stay inside and keep Davy alive on television. There was other things they wanted to do outside. And like all profitable ventures, there were many copycats. Disney attempted to create other heroic characters, such as the Saga of Andy Burnett, which was about a pioneer who traveled from Pittsburgh to the Rockies, <laughs> the Nine Lives of El Fego Baca in 1958, which was about a New Mexico lawman played by Robert Loggia. Robert Loja, Loggia.
0: Uh, my lawman from Albuquerque. <laughs> there was a
3: 13-part uh, series called uh, Texas John Slaughter, which was about... <laughs> A law enforcement officer named John Slaughter.
0: Do you like? I hope there was like a a thing at the very beginning. Like, it's just the last name, ladies and gentlemen. Just the last name.
3: Nervous, but no matter what was tried, the frontier seemed passé when the kids looked into space and the future and the early 1960s. Davy was looking back. Even though he was always looking forward, forward, he was now looking back, and the kids were the ones that were actually looking forward. And even though Davy was around for about a year, his teachings took hold of the baby boomers, and they reacted in two very different ways. More on that when we come back.
0: And now this is a sketch. Okay, we have the backstory all set.
3: Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, it's perfect. I didn't do diddly when I was only three. I wasn't even allowed to speak when I was three. Now that we got his backstory fleshed out, we need to figure out what he's going to wear. Well, I had an idea, and hear me out. He wears a coon skin cap. The
0: hell are you talking about?
3: A hat made from the hide of a raccoon. It just screams outdoorsman.
0: What it screams is vagrant on Sepulveda. But in the
3: 1800s, it was a source of warmth. Plus, it's a statement. No one will want to mess with a tough guy wearing a dead raccoon on his head. They'll know he killed
0: that raccoon. My neighbor killed a raccoon last summer. One of them started hissing at his dog. I'm not afraid of my neighbor. But what if your neighbor made a hat out of the raccoon's
3: skin? Good point. Crockett wears a raccoon hat. Okay, great, great, great. Now we need to figure out his motivation for wearing the hat. What if it's to uh, scare off the commies? There's no commies in the 1800s. Look, commies, Indians, French people. It doesn't matter what his enemy is as long as we scare the American children. All right, let's go get lunch. Morty's? Absolutely. Thank you. This was a sketch. There are two real legacies that come out of Davy Crockett, the legacy of merchandising and the legacy of boomer philosophy. So for merchandising, just about every media-related artifact takes its inspiration from the Davy Crockett playbook, from the Hula Hoop to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to Pokemon to Star Wars. One, get the licensing immediately. Oh, absolutely. What are potential toys slogans or items that can emerge from this artifact that we will be able to brand at some point and then there are even some movies where the scripts are being written in conjunction with merchandising companies so that way they can get the most bang for their buck so the big legacy is anticipate what the public is going to want and how can we make money off of that
0: well and you know what i thought was interesting about this is that uh Walt, even though Fess Parker didn't get anything signed, likeness rights gave him likeness rights and gave him ten percent because even like when they were doing uh, Star Wars in seventy seven, they didn't anticipate it to be such a big thing. And so when they when kids wanted more action figures, and then later in the nineties, they couldn't go back and get some of the actors because some of the actors had passed away, so they couldn't get like certain estates to give likeness rights and stuff. So I mean, it was just it's sad he didn't get any money, but the fact that Walt Disney in the mid '50s, you know, had him sign a likeness rights contract. is is good in itself because I mean, Walt Disney probably didn't have to do that at that point because he owned the character and owned, you know, Fess Parker's rights as an actor or whatever. But I I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool of Walt Disney.
3: Now you might you might know this better than I do because you're such a Star Wars fan. When The Mandalorian mm-hmm. came out, uh, and Baby Yoda was a, I know it's not Baby Yoda. Grogu but is that his name? Grogu. Grogu. When Grogu came out. I heard that there were a lot of people immediately that were going to toy stores and stuff like that because they wanted to purchase one, but they had not anticipated that Grogu would be something, so it was hard to.
0: And it's so what that was is so what happens is when they start a show, a company will send like images and stuff of characters that they want to have created. But since. Grogu the Child Baby Yoda was such a major surprise, they didn't send any images to toy manufacturers just so it wouldn't get leaked. So Disney could have made millions in that holiday sale, but it was better for them to have that reveal than to have a possible leak from a toy maker saying, oh my god, they're bringing a Baby Yoda. And I mean, as a fan... Sure, I wanted Baby Yoda stuff, but I thought I loved that. I loved not having any idea because that moment when he's revealed is, I mean, that's one of those moments I'll never forget. And I had no idea about it and no one did. And it was such a heavily guarded secret. But and now, I mean, two years later, a couple of years later, I mean, he's everywhere and you can get him all you want. But it was just one holiday season that they couldn't. But I appreciated the fact that they wanted to keep integrity of a surprise so that was intentional they knew it was going
3: to be something but they were intentional about okay now could this happen today at the same magnitude well historian Paul Andrew Hutton says quote the time for that kind of thing has passed the world is too crowded with images today for any single one to have the kind of overwhelming pop power that Crockett's did in 1955 and that's absolutely correct you know it was interesting when I looked to see um, what it was up against when it was premiering once there was only three stations you have to remember cbs abc and nbc and one of the stations wasn't playing anything that night it was just like whatever local stuff wanted to go on and the other one i think was playing uh repeats of a television show so that's that helped so it helped a lot so that sort of explains why all these people were over in that direction i agree with uh professor hudden which is i don't think that this could happen today at the same magnitude
0: this was the first time of it happening nowadays it happens so much more frequently that you know yeah sometimes some are bigger than other ones you know like a cabbage patch tickle me elmo and maybe a little less a little more unexpected but you're used to it now you're used to a big craze if you're a parent you're used to having something that your kid's gonna like for a year and they're gonna you're gonna go in on that one thing for a year and then all of a sudden done you know exactly. so, but yeah but at this time there was nothing like that I mean if you think they had like little army men and you know Civil War plastic figurines generic and stuff, yeah generic things exactly so this was like you said the first branded so I mean there'd never been anything like it so it could never really be recreated because it was probably blew people's minds but to me there's an even larger impact
3: of Davy Crockett this is also from from our professor HuUD he said quote for kids in the five to ten age group, it really did shape, shape their lives, giving them an appreciation not only of history, but of a kind of patriotism and self-sacrifice. So, boomers, what happened? Hudden also said, it quote, it predisposed the baby boomers to sympathize with U.S. efforts to spread our values abroad, conditioning their response to John Kennedy's and Lyndon Johnson's clarion call to fight for freedom for in a distant land. This is what I find so fascinating about Davy Crockett as a character. Now, you have to remember that this person only really created five hours of television.
0: It's crazy that, I mean, it's really only five hours. Because, I mean, you might cover this at the end, but still to this day at Disney Parks, they you hear in Frontierland, whether it's in the line for uh, Big Thunder Mountain or just other places, you hear, Davey, Dave. I I mean, it's still a big part. And I mean, it was obviously such a huge thing, but it's crazy to me that it's only five hours of media with Fess Parker. But what I find so fascinating about Davey Crockett is, with these five hours,
3: is there's an entire generation watching it, and they're all getting different things from it. And a really great example of this, I think, is like he was saying with the Vietnam War, Fess Parker said that he met a lot of uh, soldiers who went to Vietnam, and they wrote letters to Fess Parker, or met Fess Parker afterwards, and said, I just want to thank you, because when I was over there fighting for freedom, and I was scared, I thought of Davy Crockett's bravery. So the idea that one group can watch it a group of soldiers can watch it and go, I'm going to fight for freedom the same way Davy fought for freedom. And then, uh, Professor Hutton says that there, uh, there was a great example in the 1960s diary, the strawberry statement when the author, a college student is trying to understand where his resistance to the war came from. And then he realized it came from Disney's Davy Crockett, the whole quote, be sure you're right. Then go ahead thing. Oh, interesting. So, now there's a soldier who's watching Davy Crockett and takes Davy's quote to heart and says, I don't think what we're doing is right. And then there's the other group that says, no, we are What we're doing is right. So I find it so fascinating that you can have these one whole generation literally look at the same five hours And come up with two totally different different. ways of thinking. And when you see it today with like the boomer generation, you know, with something like loans, college loans, one generation saying, you know, suck it up. I had to work to pay for college. Why can't you? which is something that might be in part of Davy Crockett's idea of, like, can-do spirit. And then there's another group that says, no, we need to make sure that people that can't afford it have access to it, which is also kind of part of Davy Crockett's spirit.
0: Well, and also something that just kind of like a, how boomers can take one thing at two different ways. Another example might be, like, an Archie Bunker. Yes, absolutely. Where... A lot of people go, I identify with that guy, where a lot of other people go, I see the parody that this man is supposed to be. And a lot of people didn't get that it was supposed to be a parody of yeah, a man.
3: And and what I find so like for somebody like Archie Bunker, like you were saying, it's either some people that go, Oh my god, he's such a parody. I'm rejecting everything he's saying. And the other group is going, no, he's actually speaking all the thoughts that I want to speak. I'm embracing everything he's saying. With Davy Crockett, there's no rejection of him; it's it's accepting him.
0: Yeah, just in different ways. But just I was my I I guess I was saying it's just like you know you you can have two different ways of looking at a central character on based on. Whatever How you look at it. Absolutely.
3: And I will say, I kind of feel that in some ways, Davey and some of these things sends a little bit of mixed messages. So like on the TV show, you know, he says it's wrong to take land without restitution. And then we see him fight those people. Like we were saying the first thing you see in the Davy Crockett theme song when he sings is a drawing of him choking an indigenous person um, and holding a knife up so you know that he's going to he's going to kill this person because he wants their land so half of the group watches it and goes yeah that's right if you want the land go take it and then he also says well now you got to pay these people so it's kind of sending some like mixed mixed messages i think in some sure. elements of it and it makes you wonder why the baby boomers didn't heed his call or how one generation can have just two separate views Of the same, same thing. So today when we see boomers get on TV and look at one event and have two totally different views on it, which we see on the news all the time, time. I think we need to thank Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier.
0: Thank you, thank you, Crockett, Crockett, for for ruining ruining our our country. country. Are you ready to play a game? Heck yeah.
2: This was a quiz!
3: Well, friends, it's time for a game here on This Was a Thing, Woo! and we're sending the game over to our games coordinator, Mr. Mark Schroeder. Mark, how are you today? I'm
2: doing very well. Thanks for asking. Games coordinator here, Mark Schroeder. That is the <laughs> That's title a, that I uh, demanded. A prestigious title. He loves the badge that we made for him. Yeah. And thank you for the coonskin cap, too. Of I really course, appreciate it. Of course, it. Don't smell it. For the oh, no. This is real. Oh, yeah.
3: And I have to say this all the time, because uh, now that I live in New York, Mark, if Mark ever appears on a commercial in L.A., my father will call me and say, Mark's on the, on the Jack in the Box commercial. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. Then um, it's not just once he calls me. It's anytime the commercial shows, I will get a call. I've got him calls at 3 o'clock in the morning to be like, hey, Mark, Mark, he's on, uh, on the Jack in the Box commercial. <laughs> what other commercials have you done?
2: Oh, this isn't about me. But I've done Marriott. I've done <laughs> just list it all. Click the link in the description to see my actors' access profile. <laughs> uh, I've done a fair share. Let's just say I've hawked a lot of. Copy. But you know, I've never uh hocked any Davy Crockett memorabilia, which is what we're talking this is about why now. I the, for the those <laughs> yeah, right. I also sold Segways, too. Okay. So Davy Crockett, I missed the whole Davy Crockett craze. I didn't have a Coonskin cap. I think this was before my time. I was gonna, Much gonna say, was gonna say you missed it
0: by about 45 years there,
2: Mark. But uh the thing that when I hear Davy Crockett, the thing that pops into my head is it's a lyric in one of the seminal rock and roll songs, We Didn't Start the Fire. Like it mentions the tent poles of U.S. history yeah. from like 1949 up until now, and it got me thinking. Okay, it's like a history lesson, so maybe we could play a little bit of games called "We Didn't Start the Fire," but can we finish it?
0: Okay, so let me get my extinguisher.
2: Yeah, grab your uh, grab your uh, retardant. I have sand. So your job is to correctly sing the complete song lyric based on the clues that I give you, which correspond to a specific Billy Joel mentions in the song. Okay, oh. so everybody knows that "We Didn't Start the Fire" song. I'm going to give you. The clues for a lyric that mention the specifics, and then you can put them together. But I don't want to hear them read back, I want to hear them sung back. Are we working together? You are working together for this one. Really hard, I, I put you guys together. So, three clues to this song lyric. First one is This man is nominated for the Oscar for Best Actor for his role in Streetcar Named Desire. Second one, the musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein opens on Broadway, and the third one, this controversial novel by J.D. Salinger, is published.
3: Marlon Brando, Brando King and Brando, I, Brando, king catcher, king, and something, something, catcher, catcher in, in the, the rye. rye.
2: Brando, the King and I, and the catcher in the rye. Yes, very good. <laughs> Second one, this U.S. senator gains national attention and begins his anti-communist crusade. Second, this man is first elected to the U.S. Senate. Third, a popular automobile company begins its financial downfall. And last one, this becomes widespread throughout Europe and North America. Starts off with Joe McCarthy. (laughs) That one is correct. Second one is this man is elected to the United States Senate. I'll give you a little extra hint, later became a president.
0: JFK? No, Nixon. Correct.
2: Studebaker. What was the last clue? This becomes widespread throughout Europe and North America. We're in like the early 50s now. If you're going the chronology of the, the song. Nixon,
0: Studebaker.
3: Rock and roll?
2: Television. Oh! Television. television. Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Richard television. television. Don't sing anymore because it might be a future question. <laughs> Joe
1: McCarthy,
2: Richard Nixon, television, North okay, next lyric. This city is the site of a standoff over nine African-American students attending a previously whites-only high school. Two, this Russian author publishes his novel, Dr. Zhivago. Three, this baseball player is in the middle of his career as a famous New York Yankee, outfielder, and American League All-Star for the sixth year in a row. And this author publishes his novel, On the Road, a defining work of the beat generation. Kerouac.
3: Is Mickey Mantle?
2: Yes. Okay. Mickey Mantle Kerouac. Now I got to go back. Yeah. First one is, this city is the site of a standoff over Little 9 rock. F- Little Rock, yes. Little Rock blank, Mickey Mantle Kerouac. This Russian author publishes his novel, Dr. Shivago. Who the hell wrote Dr. Shivago? Pasternak. It's a tough one. Little Rock, Pasternak, Mickey Three clues here. This music artist popularizes the dance The Twist with his Chubby cover Chugger. of his song. Chugger. Yes. Number two, this thriller becomes a landmark in graphic violence and cinema sensationalism. Psycho? Yes. And third, this African country declares independence from this European country. Chubby, checker, checker psycho. Congo? Congo. Close. That's, a, that's the last part. Democratic Republic Congo? Something in the... So, listen, the clue is, this African country declares independence from this European country. England, Britain. Belgium. Belgium's Belgium. In, the Belgium in the Congo. Belgium in the Congo. This is a fun party trick to like be like, you know what I, I have, I know every lyric. Hey everybody, come into the living (laughs) room. Oh wait, you want to start at 225? Okay, perfect. Okay, there's only two parts to this one, a little little tricky. The fall of this French-Vietnamese camp to Viet Minh forces leads to the creation of North Vietnam and South Vietnam as separate states, and this hit single was released by Bill Haley and his comets. Rock Around the Clock? Yeah, that's the second part. Something, something, something Fall falls. Fall of Saigon? Ho Chi Minh? Dien Bien Phu. Damn it! Dien Bien uh. Phu falls rock around the clock. Dien Bien Phu falls rock around the clock. Okay, next one. An American television game show hires Pat Sajak and Vanna White before becoming widely popular in syndication. Wheel, Wheel of Fortune. Fortune. She becomes the first American woman in space. Sally Ride. Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride. And this type of music is blamed by families of fans who have killed themselves psychedelic suicide, heavy metal, heavy metal, heavy metal, suicide.
0: metal suicide.
2: And final one here. Three parter. Yeah, okay. Medical waste is found washed up on the beaches of Long Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut after being illegally dumped at sea. This superpower issues the use of military force against protesting students to end the Tiananmen protests and soft drink giants Coke and Pepsi each run marketing campaigns using popular music stars.
3: Hypodermics on the shore. What's the next
2: one? This superpower issues the use of military forces against protesting students to end the Tiananmen protests. China? Chi- China. Right. And China's under martial law. Oh, China's under martial law. Hypodermics on the shore. Sure, China's, China's under, under martial law. what what's the third clue? This one is soft drink giants Coke and Pepsi each run marketing campaigns using popular music stars. The rhyme is wars. Cola wars. Closing in. Closing in. Uh uh. It's related to Coke and Pepsi. Coke and Pepsi So Cola Wars. Rock and Roller Cola Wars. aspartame Cola Wars. aspartame Cola Wars. on the shore, Rock and roller cola wars. So this was your history lesson wow. for the day. Dang. So fun fact about that song, so it starts in nineteen forty-nine, the year Billy Joel was born. But that's what makes me think of Davy Crockett. That's so cool. But you you were not around for the Davy Crockett craze. I was long... Uh, what was the
3: first craze you remember as a kid? Oh,
2: golly. Um,
3: every kid had it. Every kid wanted it.
2: Probably like... Uh, I, I remember um, Furbies being really big. Furbies. What about Power Rangers? You were around that age. What was first? My Furbies was probably after oh, Power, Power Rangers. Rangers. was... Yeah, yeah that was Power like Rangers. 93. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I take it back. Yeah, I, I touched on Power Rangers for a moment and then... Moved on to Furby. I had a Furby and it ended up in a closet because it wouldn't stop
0: talking Mm. and stuff. And that was the only way I figured out how to make it stop talking. Just lock it away. Same works for kids. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I learned it. So it was a learned thing. It's a good
3: lesson. What a good lesson for all you kids out there. All right, friends, let us know if you remember the Davy Crockett craze or what was the craze that was popular when you were growing up. What did you need? Mine was Ninja Turtles. I remember everyone had to have. Cowabunga, dude. Cowabunga, dude. Who was your favorite turtle? Michelangelo
0: Nice.
3: What about you, Uh, Raphael? Splinter also seemed pretty cool after a couple of drops of LSD. (laughs) All right, friends, we look forward to talking to you all again next week. Until then, let's remember the Davy Crockett craze. Davy, Davy Crockett. See you on the next episode. Cheese singer.
0: Thanks for listening to this was a thing and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running our editor Daniel Cutcut cut Schwartzberg our composer Billy better than DC Reese, our social media director Gabe hashtag Crawford our graphic designer Natalie's nothing's too graphic to Savia and finally our games coordinator Mark the shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod, and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors, and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show.